Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. Money matters. Um, Topic of our conversation today is the way of the steward. The way of the steward. Can you say that after me? The way of the steward. The way of the steward. Matthew 25, 29. Um, I'll take my two texts from NLT and then I'll default back to New King James. Matthew 25, 29. Those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Let's read that again. To those who use well what they are given. By the way, Jesus is the one speaking here. I believe he knows what he's saying. Do you believe he knows what he's saying? Okay. (laughs) Even more will be given to them, and they will have what? An abundance. It says, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Let's take one more text. Matthew 6, 24. NLT again. We read this last week, but let's just remind ourselves. Matthew 6, 24. It says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Can you tell your neighbor that last sentence? You cannot serve God. Please, can you help me preach this? This is a whole sermon by itself. Tell them you cannot. And be, you absolutely, tell the other neighbor, you ca- absolutely cannot. Why did you now start? From, anyways, Holy Spirit, we ask for your help today. Anoint my lips of clay. Anoint the ears of the listeners and the heart of every listener. I ask for transformation by your word. Let me say only that which you want me to say today. In the name of Jesus. I also ask for angels of your presence to dwell among us today. Even as we teach the word. Do something radical. Shift our hearts. Heal the sick. Deliver the oppressed. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen Amen and amen. All right, so um, this is part two of a series that we are in for the whole month of November. And the theme of the series is called Money Matters. I said last week that it has a dual application. The first application is that we're going to be speaking about money matters. All right, money issues, money-related topics. And the second application is that money actually does matter. That money is an important thing. It's not unspiritual to think or talk about money. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible actually says that money can answer all things. All right? So we are having the conversation because money matters. All right? So we are discussing money matters because money actually matters, (laughs) if you get what I mean. All right? So I started out last week, said a few things, but I stopped. I'll start from where I stopped. I said that you can, as children of God, you can have three relationships with money. You can be a servant of money. You can be an owner, 
And you can be what? A steward. Okay, let's recap. You can be what? A servant. You can be an owner. And you can be a steward of money. All right. Um, <laughs> and the text we read said that you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So that addresses the first relationship, right? When you're a servant of money. And when you're a servant of money, it's very simple. All it means is that money, one of three things. One, money is the primary consideration when you have to make decisions in your life. So a lot of us are like, yeah, I'm definitely serving money right now. <laughs> it's okay, don't worry. We're going to move. We're going to move into stewardship. All right? Money is the primary consideration and not God when you have to make decisions in your life. Second is that money dictates what you can and cannot do. Does that make sense? All right? Money dictates what you can and cannot do. And the third way you know if you're a servant to money is that there is a direct correlation between your mood and the money in your account and your bank balance. You understand that? Direct correlation. I mean, it's, it's like, it's very, very scientific. When, you're, when you have money, you're happy. When you don't have money, you're not happy. All right? Um, you're emotionally traumatized when the account is not where you like it to be. All right? So those are the three things I would say. Money dictates primarily the decisions you make. Money tells you, or money dictates what you can and cannot do. Or number three, your mood is tied to your pocket or your account. All right? And I said that an owner is someone that actually has money. Someone is an owner, um, the ownership mentality is someone who actually has money. All their needs are met. Their bills are paid. They can lose their jobs, and for one year, they wouldn't worry about how they eat. Isn't that a good place to be? Come on, talk to me, guys. Why are you talking? That, that, that's a good place to be, yeah. Um, they actually do have money. They can go on vacation, they can go into a store, see something they like, buy it, and not have to open the app right after they leave the store. You know what I mean? They have abundance. They have abundance. There is money and there is leftover. They can do anything they need to do with money. And indeed, this is an important distinction, they do whatever they need to do with money. Do you understand that? And the third group of people are stewards. And stewards are people who believe that God has money in their care. So they are custodians, all right? They are people who believe that they are caretakers, they are managers of God's resources in their hands. And the difference between an owner and a steward is that an owner does whatever they need to do with money. A steward does what God needs done with money. Do you understand that? Yeah. So an owner is someone who has everything that they need. They spend money. They have it. And indeed, money serves them to an extent. But there is a limitation to which kingdom expression, all right, will manifest through their lives. God, they believe that they own. And they might be givers, by the way. They might be generous people, but they believe that I choose to give God. Do you understand that? Different mentality from a steward. Different mentality from a steward. So we are stewards of everything, by the way. And I think um, Toby started to talk about that earlier today. He said to us that we are stewards of everything, including our life. Um, and this is a very important concept. I must, I must remind you that as children of God, this is a fact. This is a reality. Ma many people, what we do is that we give our hearts to Jesus Christ. We embrace the salvation of Jesus. We embrace Jesus as Savior. That's what I'm trying to say. But we don't want to embrace Jesus as Lord. Lord means that he owns everything, that he becomes master. And the expectation for us as followers of Jesus Christ is that we are indeed stewards of everything. Your life, your money, even your children. The Bible says children are heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. You don't own them. You are just 
blessed to be taking care of them for the one who really owns them. Your body. You, you believe that you're a steward of your body. So you can't hear Christians say, it's my body. Well, not Christians. People who profess to be Christians. <laughs> it's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. Are you sure? Have you read your Bible? That the Bible tells you that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And you are not your own. That's what the scripture actually says, that you are not your own. Uh, last week, my pastor told me that there's a difference between your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit and being the house of the Holy Spirit. That's serious. You know how you treat a temple? If you, have, you have to understand context of the Old Testament, how they treated the temple. You couldn't just, you couldn't trespass the temple. There's a way you treat a temple. Some of you treat your body, you're Christians, or you treat your body like the house of the Holy Spirit. Some of you don't even treat it like the house or the temple. You just treat it like it's a hotel. <laughs> the Lord will have mercy on you. In Jesus' name. <laughs> you're a steward of your time. You're a steward of everything that God has given to you. And the answer, because in your mind, in our rebellious minds, we're like, why? Why can't I just have and give God what I want to give God? You can't. You absolutely cannot. And the answer is simple. Because everything you have has been given to you by God. Listen to me very carefully. I know you work hard for your money. I know you, you went for a master's. You took some certifications. You improved your skill sets. I know that you invested time and built relationships. I know you built a network, and so you make a lot of money. Uh, but the reality is, according to Scripture, everything you have has been given to you by God. Do you understand that? Yeah. John, the Baptist, educates us in John chapter 3 and verse 24. He says, a man can receive nothing, nothing, unless it has been given to him from above. Absolutely nothing. So you can work hard. <laughs> you can labor you can do all the right things and have nothing to show for it if the blessing of God is not upon your life. Do you understand that? Absolutely. Absolutely. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, Paul is teaching us, he says that Paul plants, or I plant, Apollo's waters, but God gives the increase. So you can plant, you can water, and there is no increase. The reason why is because God has not given the increase. So everything you have has been given to you by God. Everything has been given to you by God. The scripture says that unless the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that building. So there is labor, but it's in vain. It's in vain. If the blessing of God is not upon your life, you can labor, and it appears like someone who's doing nothing at all. Everything you have has been given to you as a blessing from the Almighty God. You have to understand that because our pride wants you to think that, yeah, I'm a self-made man. I earned everything. I've worked hard for everything I have. It's true. But I would like to ask you how much you paid for the oxygen you breathed in this morning. If the owner says, I withdraw the oxygen, where's the court? Do you understand? All that you have is a privilege. So God has given you everything. And the expectation is that we operate with God as stewards of everything and not owners of anything. It's very important that you understand this. Ownership is the world's system, by the way. Stewardship is God's system. And when you try to operate the world system as a child of God, what's going to happen is you're going to be frustrated. So I'll give you an example. If you go to the United Kingdom, um, or London, England, for example, and you try to drive like they drive in Canada, you know you end up in jail, right? You know they drive on the other side of the road. Do you know that? Okay. <laughs> so that's what happens when Christians say, I'm in the kingdom of God, 
but I want to operate the kingdom or the principles of the world. You cannot be in the kingdom of God and try to operate as the world operates. It's going to lead to frustration because that principle will not work for you and you're not also operating the principles of God. So you're going to find yourself somewhere in the middle and this is why many Christians, if we're just being honest, live very frustrated Christian lives. Very frustrated. Because we are neither here nor there, you want to import the way of working in the world and insist that God accepts it. But God will not because you now belong to another kingdom. If you go to Harrods in the UK, you go into the store, it's Christmas season, so they have a lot of chocolate right now. You, you walk the aisle, you pick up chocolate, and you start eating it. You know how sometimes you're very confident. You go into a store, you start eating the thing you have not paid for. You know what I mean? Because you're sure that there's money in your pocket. Now, God bless you, when you get to the till, it's US dollars in your pocket. You're very confident. And you try to insist that they should take the money. You know what's going to happen to you? His Majesty's government <laughs> will commit you to, to jail. Do you understand that? All right? Ownership is the world system. Stewardship is the system of God. System of God. Let me show you a classic example. Um, let's get into scripture now. About. Let me show you what happens when you have an ownership mentality around money. Okay? Backstory. In the book of Exodus... The children of Israel are in slavery. They've been for a while, 430 years. They're slaves in Egypt. Egypt is a superpower and a very wealthy nation. Pharaoh is king of Egypt. God says, I'm going to bring them out of slavery. But he says, I don't want them to come out of slavery as poor people. I want them to have money when they come out. So God says to them, go to your neighbors and ask of them gold, silver, clothing, all kinds of assets. And because I will put favor on your life, I don't get the privilege of teaching how to make money because one of the ways to make money is favor. But let's leave that for next year. God says, I will put favor on your life. Whatever you ask of them, they will give to you. So they go to their neighbor, right? So Brandy goes to Rachel. Rachel is an Egyptian. <laughs> Brandy is a Jew. He says, hey, can I have your gold, silver, you know, your trinket box and all that, all your bling bling, give everything to me. And Rachel gives it to her. And all the Israelites do this. And because of the favor of God, this is what in the body of Christ we actually call wealth transfer. Okay? They take all the wealth of Egypt in one night, and then they leave Egypt the next day. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? So how did they get the, the, the wealth? Did they work for it? How was it? Okay, Exodus chapter 12. You don't sound like you believe me. Exodus 12, 35. The Bible says this. Now... The children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor, okay, in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested, and thus they plundered the Egyptians. So favor came upon them, and so here you have a bunch of slaves going through the wilderness, they crossed the Red Sea. They're completely loaded with bling and gold. Okay? And as they go on this journey, it gets to a point where Moses, who's their pastor, <laughs> goes up on the mountaintop to meet with God for many days. God is giving him the law and committing certain treasures into his hands. And while Moses tarries, in Exodus chapter 32, the Bible says that the people called Aaron, who was Moses' assistant, and said, listen, this Moses, we don't know what has become of him. 
He's been gone for a while now. So you're going to make us gods. You're going to make us gods. Exodus 32 from the beginning. And the Bible says they take that gold. Do you understand where I'm going? That gold that God gave them by favor. They give it to Aaron who fashions it into a golden calf and built a calf. And the people started to worship the golden calf. So what happens with an ownership mentality is that you would make golden calves for yourselves. You would have idols in your life. Some of you, your idol is your house. There's no wrong with having a house. It's how you view the house. Your idol, some of you, is your car. I can't carry church people in my car. People eat in my car. It's just a, it's a piece of metal for crying out loud. You have baggage. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> some of you, your idol is your bank account or your investment account. You just love to open it for no reason. And just when you see those zeros, you're just happy. You just smile. Hmm. When we have an ownership mentality around money, we will build idols for ourselves. But you see what's hilarious about this story is that while Moses was up on the mountain, God was already giving him directions about what they will use the money, the gold for. Just imagine what I'm saying. Moses was gone. They decided they were going to build idols. But while Moses was gone, God was already speaking to Moses. They did not know this, obviously, because Moses was on the mountain. God was already telling Moses what they were to use the gold for. In other words, God's expectation is that these people would have understood that they are only caretakers of the money that I have put into their hands. And so when Moses comes down, he realizes that these people have built an idol and he loses his mind. Goes completely crazy on them. But in Exodus 25, from verse 1, I read it so that you understand what God was saying to Moses. God said a lot of things to Moses on the mountain, but this was one of the things he was saying to him. He says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. Don't forget, at this time, these guys were down, down there somewhere. Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it, by the way, willingly with his heart. I can't teach about that today. God is not saying force them. He says willingly with his what? With his heart. Okay? From everyone who brings it willingly with his heart, you shall take an offering. And this is the offering that you shall take from the people. What? Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple. Where did they get all this stuff? From the Egyptians. By favor. At the end of everything in verse number 8, what God says to Moses is that, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So when God was blessing them, God had an idea in mind of what they would use the money for. Because they had an ownership mentality about money, they decided to make idols for themselves. What God really wanted them to do was to build a tabernacle. They repented because they, indeed they built a tabernacle. But they had to learn a very hard lesson. And the question is that when God puts something into your hands, have you bothered to ask God, why have you given me what you've given me? Or do you build up for yourself an idol? Something that takes the place of God or something that is more important to you than what God, want, what God wants done. So, Owners would make or build idols. Stewards would build tabernacles. And tabernacles does not necessarily mean a building. It's anything that brings God glory. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Yes. So what is your golden calf? 
you'll be surprised that you have one or two or three. What's your golden calf? What's that thing that you must do with money, irrespective of what God says you should do with money? You must, you just must. Can I press further? Can I press further? Encourage me because it's going to get tough now. You said yes. You said yes. I wanted to commit your hands <laughs> to this. The only reason, only, and before you log off <laughs> or cancel me, you have to wait to like continue my train of thought. Okay? So just take, don't just take this statement without understanding what I'm saying. The only reason why God gives money is for his kingdom. I said only. Don't forget what I just said. Only. It's for his kingdom. So, what is the kingdom of God? I'll call it two things. Describe it in two things. The first thing is that the kingdom of God is God's plans, purposes, agenda upon the earth. Anything that falls into that general category classified as kingdom. The second is God's infrastructure upon the earth. Do you understand what I just said? His plans, his purposes, his agenda. The second thing is his infrastructure upon the earth. Um, my friends over there, can you ch please share that chart? I want to show you guys a chart that teaches us about kingdom better. Thank you. Okay. If you look at this chart here, it's broken down into five different buckets. The totality of all these buckets make up the kingdom. All right? And let me just start from my needs so that you guys don't kill me. Because I know as soon as I said the only reason why God gives money is for his kingdom, you were like, what does that even mean? How am I going to eat and feed my family? Well, that's where we make a big mistake because your needs are part of the kingdom. You understand that? The, the great misconception for many Christians is that we separate ourselves from kingdom. We say, when I have met all my needs, then I can do kingdom work. Do you understand that? Yeah. Well, I disagree. Because if God is my father, and he's a good, good father, if God is a shepherd, and he's the good shepherd, it is his responsibility, actually it is part of his plans, his purpose, his agenda, that I'm taking care of. Do you agree or not? Yeah. Absolutely. There is nothing in all of scripture that suggests that God is an irresponsible father or that God is unfaithful. So when God is thinking about his plans, purposes, his agenda upon the earth, he's thinking about you as well. You are part of kingdom. I believe firmly that it is God's responsibility that I am well taken care of. That I have food to eat. That I can pay my bills. My needs are part of kingdom. So when you talk about your needs, we talk about your basic needs. <clears throat> I'll talk about your family. Okay? We'll talk about Savings and investments, and I'll talk about that in details later. Your needs, you. By the way, let me say this about this chart, that the sizing is not in proportion to how much of your income goes to what. 
This is just to depict the five buckets. So don't say, Pastor, are you saying that 20% of my income should go to my needs? I did not say that. <laughs> Even though it's possible. I know a guy who does reverse tithing. He lives on 10% and gives 90%. Now, you have to wonder how much money he has to be able to do that, right? So don't think it's a bad thing. If I prayed for you and said, by this time next year, you'll be able to do this. It's a prayer. It means that you must have real, your life must have really changed. Do you understand? Your life must have really, really changed. Your needs. Basic needs. God expects you. The Bible says that you should provide for your own household. Provide for your family members. Savings and investment. I'll talk about that later. The second bucket there is the needy. People who are poor. The Bible actually talks about orphans, strangers, um, widows, and whatnot. And so you see the early church taking care of people who are poor. The Bible says that the widows were being neglected in the daily allocation. The daily allocation of supplies. So it is perfectly scriptural to support people who are poor. You must have to give the poor. You You must. To give to strangers. You see, a lot of Western countries prosper because they welcome immigrants. They don't know. Because the Bible says that when you're kind to strangers, that you're being kind to God. I went to Poland um, like three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, I was in Poland. And it was difficult to find a hotel. I learned that because in Poland, a lot of the refugees from Ukraine were coming into Poland and were giving them hotels to stay for free. You must have to give to the poor. And you must teach your children this. It puts you in a lot of trouble, by the way. This is my, my son last week. <laughs> God have mercy. I've had to give U.S. dollars to beggars because the boy says, Daddy, but this is money in your wallet. I said, bro, <laughs> you're not hearing me. This money is not for this. He's like, mm -mm, no, let us give the man that is begging for money. I said, Jesus, what is this? So I have to start hiding my wallet now. But you have to teach your children to give to give to the poor, to have a compassionate heart. The Bible says that if you close your ears to the cry of the poor, that you will pray and God will not answer. That's what Scripture says. That's what Scripture says. The needy. The needy amongst us as believers. The needy out there in the world. That's part of kingdom. It's spiritual to give to the poor. The church... I said God's infrastructure, right, up on the earth, the church. So this is where you talk about things like tithes and offerings, seeds, vows, building, you know, different ministries. I'll call that kingdom projects as well. You can give to ministries. You can give to anything that supports the work of the gospel. There are some evangelistic ministries out there that don't particularly collect tithes and offerings, but they must reach the lost. You can give to them. <clears throat> question a lot of Christians have these days is, as New Testament Christians, am I supposed to pay tithe? Um, and I don't have the privilege of teaching about tithing full. But let me say a few things to you about tithing, um, just to help you. You're not supposed to pay tithe as a requirement of the law. Please don't forget what I've just said. You're not, you're not supposed to pay tithe as a requirement of the law, because don't lie. If you've been in church for a long time, if you're driving your car and all of a sudden your car starts to make some funny sounds, the first thing you start thinking about is, did I pay my tithe? 
that the devourer has come for me. <laughs> Do you understand? Malachi 3, right? You have been cursed with a curse. That stuff is not true. Please. Please, please, please. It's, 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 nothing can be farther from the truth. You're not cursed because you don't tithe as a New Testament believer. Neither is the devourer coming to your house because you don't tithe as a New Testament believer. But I must say to you that the requirement of the New Testament believer is over and above tithe. So if you're a New Testament believer who is tithing, congratulations on your junior kindergarten level. No, this is a fact. This is a fact. If you read scripture, I don't want to be tempted, but let me yield to this temptation. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that people understand about tithe, they say that, well, tithe was part of the law. You are right, but you are wrong. Because the first person that tithed was Abraham. That was 500 plus years before the law was ever in place. Abraham tithed, Jacob tithed, the law was not in place. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God put the law in place and said they would tithe. And they had three different types of tithes. Not relevant right now. So it wasn't just the 10%. So if you want to tithe according to the law, you, you, you will tithe very well. Do you understand that? It wasn't just the, the, what you guys think it is, all right? And whatnot. But let, let's make it, let me make, let me make it make sense for you, all right? In the New Testament, you and I are recipients of grace. Do you agree? So one of the excuses we say is that I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Have you ever used that before? What we don't understand is that there is, we have a misunderstanding about what grace does. We think that grace is licensed to sin. But that's not what grace is. So you, you, <laughs> you are going to do something you know that God is not happy with. And you will justify it in your heart, saying that God is a gracious God. It's true, he's a gracious God. But you forget what grace is. Grace does not give you license to sin. Grace gives you the empowerment to live above sin. So you have a wrong understanding of what grace really is. When you use grace as the explanation to live a life that is beneath what God's expectation for you is. So we are New Testament believers are recipients of grace. Number one, we are recipients of the Holy Spirit committed to us. And Jesus died for us on the cross. Do you agree? The Old Testament believers envy what we have. They couldn't go before God for themselves. You couldn't just lift up holy hands and say you're worshiping God. How? Where? And so the Bible tells you that to whom much has been given, much what? Much more is expected or required of you. You cannot say, I've received the grace of God and you want to do less. And so when Jesus started to teach, he says, look, in the Old Testament, he says you shall not murder. If you even think it's in your heart, do you understand that? You are guilty. If you look at a babe and you say, oh, ooh la la, you have, you have committed, you have committed it. You are going, you are going to, and my mom used to tell you, you are going to hellfire. <laughs> my mom used to threaten us growing up with everything. If you touch a girl, hellfire. I'm like, hellfire? <laughs> Why? <laughs> so you cannot be a recipient of grace and think that the expectation of God of you is less. It's, it's a lie. You lie. Unfortunately and unfortunately for you, I will say, God has given you this thing called the Holy Spirit, this person called the Holy Spirit in you, that would always convict you. So you know you are in error. You, you know when you justify doing less because of grace, you immediately know you are in error. But you silence the voice of the Holy Spirit. I say, yes, what was that? You should tithe. But not tithing as a requirement of the law. Tithe as honor unto God. The first ten. 
and that is your bare minimum. That's like, I'm just struggling, God. Because think about the fact that when God asked them to bring 10%, God is not a wicked God. All right? God did not ask for 90. He could have. Do you know, I thought about that recently. I thought about the fact that if God asked the children of Israel to bring 90% to him, it would make no difference to them. Because what the 10%, the re- remaining 10% would be just as much as it would have been if it was 90%. That's how God works. God is not wicked. God is not trying to rob you. He wants to see a heart that is submitted to him. That's all that it is. So people say, well, we don't trust churches these days. <laughs> how they use tithe, so I'm going to stop paying. I'll keep it in my pocket. Okay. First and foremost, let me assure you that you don't judge for God. That's an error in the body of Christ. People believe that you can't ju- can judge for God. Okay. And let me know. Let me know. go there. Tithe. <laughs> Plus X. The next one is honor and obedience. Honor what? And obedience. And um, here is where you honor parents. So you should give to your parents. Some of you say, my parents are richer than me. It's not about need. Just like God is richer than you. But you give to God. Yeah, so do something nice for your parents every now and then. I'll tell you why. Your spiritual leaders, all right, as well. And then also, I'll come back to spiritual leaders for a moment because that's a conflict of interest. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit. You know, don't give to the Holy Spirit. What I mean is that the Holy Spirit would instruct you from time to time on what to do with money. There are times in your lives, and the Holy Spirit would do it for everybody. All of you here, it would happen to you at one point. The Holy Spirit will just make a demand on you. And say, you see that money you've been saving for uh, vacation? Give it to that brother. And you will, you, you will want to kill the brother. <laughs> you will give him grudgingly. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will do that. He would always test your heart with money. Everybody, you will get there. Trust me. You will get there. I have numerous stories. Do you understand what I've said? Hmm. Let me talk about spiritual leaders for a moment. Um, So why you get to spiritual leaders? Number one, the Bible commands it. So, context. I've said this before. Let me just repeat it for the sake of explanation. That you should never follow a pastor you don't trust. I'm serious. Don't. Just don't waste your time. Okay? So if you can't take my truth, throw it away and find another church. Um, (laughs) So, for example, my wife and I, we are bivocational. We're pastors. But we have jobs. We have careers. So we tithe. We give. We do all the things that I've asked you to give. So we don't draw a salary from the church. By the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a pastor that draws a salary from the church. I'm just saying that's our own situation. All right? Um, some pastors are full-time pastors. They obviously need to be paid and paid well for what they do. But the Bible says this in Galatians 6.6. 6. It says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. All right? First Timothy 5.17-18, to 18, and then I explain. I usually use scripture, and then I'll teach you more practically. The Bible says that let the elders, you can leave this chart up. Let me just read it. First Timothy 5, 17 to 18. It says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now, this is New King James Version. When you read that in another translation, it says double pay. What the Bible is trying to say is it's equating honor to financial gifts. So the Bible says, honor the Lord with your substance. Do you understand that? So one of the ways you show honor is by substance. All right, uh, uh, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine, 
For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it threads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So, this is my understanding about giving to spiritual leaders. Um, if you remember the story in the book of Genesis when Isaac, Isaac, Isaac is old, he's about to die. Isaac tells his son Esau, he says, go and kill, go hunt something. And he says, come and make me a meal. Do you remember that story? Do we need to go there? He says, come and make me a meal. He says, the reason why I want you to make me a meal is I'm about to die, but when you do something that touches my heart, he says that my soul will bless you. He didn't say, I will bless you. He says, my soul will bless you. In other words, what Isaac was trying to do, he was trying to provoke the depths of him to place a blessing upon Esau. Do you understand that? That's the principle. So when you give to spiritual leaders, not that they don't bless you normally, they do, but you're provoking the grace that they have to bless you. Do you understand that? Let me say this to you very carefully. Very, very, I say this with every sense of responsibility. Um, my wife and I, we are givers. Do you understand that? We give. We give in every one of these buckets we do. I have a pastor, I give to him too. I have a pastor, this church gives to him. You are a CFO, right? We do. It's a practice. It's a practice. It's a practice. I call his PA. I say, where is he? Where's pastor traveling to? Blah, blah, blah. I say, let's, you know, want to send him out, buy him a business class ticket. It's just the principle of it. And by the way, listen to me very carefully. It's not because he's poor. He's richer than me. Do you understand that? It's the principle. And so I have text messages and voice notes that he sends me. And when he prays for me, you know it's coming from his belly. Do you understand that? Take it or leave it. The reason why I actually teach you this one is because I can't do something that yields results in my life and not teach you. I really struggled with this. Okay? And please do it at your level. It's the principle. When all is said and done, my wife is very rich. And <laughs> I tell her, my rich wife, <laughs> she's my rich wife, we would have given more than we've ever received from this house. I promise you. That's, that's, our, that's our principle um, by the grace of God. So do that. Anyways, so those are the five buckets, all right? Now, to be a good steward, to be able to do all this, because it looks like a lot, doesn't it? Does it not look like a lot? It does. It really looks like a lot. To be able to do all this, that's where stewardship comes in, because you must understand the principle of contentment. The principle of modesty and the principle of simplicity. Many Christians are covetous. Many Christians live beyond their means. So, let me say something to you. I'll give you a general guideline. Um, general guideline. So don't, don't bring a calculator to me and say, let's do the numbers. That's not what I'm saying. It's a general principle. So if you, have, if you earn an income, this is practical now, 100% is your income. 10%, let's say your elementary level, is your tithe, right? They're not talking to me anymore, right? Let's use that for elementary level. So let's call that your tithe or whatever. 20% minimum savings and investments. Where did I get that from? The Bible tells us that 
when Joseph was interpreting the dream to Pharaoh, he says that there'll be seven years of abundance and seven years of scarcity. And the wisdom that Joseph preferred was that in the seven years of abundance, they should save 20% of the harvest so that when the scarcity comes, they will not feel the impact. So I'm just taking that as a baseline. You can do more. It's a minimum. All right? Another 10% call that generosity. So in that bucket is where you talk about poor, you know, additional offerings, seeds, blah, 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 spiritual leaders, all that stuff that you want to do. Anything else that you want to do. Anything that you want to do. So you have 40%. That means that your expenses should not be more than 60% of your income. Is that what that means? Is that what that means? I said this is a minimum. This is a starting point. So if your expenses is more than 60% of your income, it means that you're not stewarding well. It means you're living beyond your means as a fact. Don't spend 99% and say, all my bills are met. You have no savings. If you lose your job within two weeks, you're under pressure. That's not the will of God. Do you understand that? So you're 20% like clockwork, automated from every paycheck or every profit goes into savings. Once you hit a threshold, which is your emergency fund, everything over and above that is investment. And by the way, that investment is not investment that you keep so that one day you want to get married. You say, oh, I have money somewhere. Investment is not for mar- wedding. Okay? <laughs> investment is not to buy a car. We say, oh, oh, thank God I have 20000 in my investment account. Take the money and you go and blow it on um, a car. That's a liability. The only time you touch investment is to invest in something else. Or if the Holy Spirit asks you specifically, not your pastor. Do you understand what I said? Not your pastor, the Holy Spirit. So if I come and next week and say, all of you close your investment account and bring the money, just, just pray for me. <laughs> it, it means I have backsliding. <laughs> do you understand that? Just pray for my soul. The Holy Ghost. And he can't do that. So you take money from investment only to invest. Not to spend Think about the fact that if you save 20% of your income, it's going to take you five months to save one month's salary, right? So how long do you think it will take you to save money that if you ever lose your job, you can be comfortable? It takes a while, no? It's the discipline. Many Christians are covetous. Covetous. So if you're living more than 60%, you need to rejig your finances. That's what I'm trying to tell you right now. Go home and fix it. Some of you need to move to Gatineau. You will learn French. Just go, just go, just go to Gatineau. You will, rent is lower, that's what I'm trying to say. Rent is cheaper. You will learn French. Scripture is very clear. He that uses what he has been given well, God will give more. God will give more. And you do it consistently as a habit. And that's why there's also discipline around generosity. So let's assume now, let's assume that Take myself as an example that I'm in that space of 10% generosity. <laughs> when I have that amount, obviously every month it grows. So if needs come up in lives of people, I can be able to support. Sometimes you've depleted it and you start to build it up again, right? So it also puts discipline around your generosity. Do you understand that? Yeah, some of you, every time somebody calls you, your family member says, oh, somebody in the village has problems, you go into your savings account and remove your investment. What is, what is that? It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. I'm serious. It's not acceptable. 
Especially married people. Let me, not talk, let me talk to married people. Couples. <laughs> Someone just calls you from nowhere. There's a problem back home. Nobody bothered to ask how you're eating. You just jump. You tell your wife, this is my family. You will never do that, I know. You're a good man. This is my family. I must do what I need to do. If it was your family too, we would not do the same. You go into your investment. It's not right. It's foolishness. It's not wise. Your plan, however, is that that 60% will continue to shrink. In other words, your income would grow to the point where you can live on less and give out more and more and more. That's what God expects from you. But we eat everything. We consume, we even go into credit cards. After finishing the income, we now, <laughs> when, if you're new in Canada, you, you get your first credit card and you think it's a miracle. I remember when I was much younger, my first credit card, I thought it was a blessing. I was like, wow, see money. <laughs> Free money. At the mall, <laughs> shopped, blew the whole money. When I saw the bill, I said, oh, these people are not nice. <laughs> They're not being nice to you. Some of you need to just chop off your credit cards right now and forget about it until you build discipline. Automate your tithing. You can automate that. Automate your investment. Before it gets to your hand, it has left. Do you understand that? It helps you. So you don't plan for it. What all of us do is that we plan, we plan. Then when you're done spending, you now say, oh, I don't have enough for my tithe this month. That's not how you work with God. First, we deal with God. 1 Timothy 6, 6, the Bible says that now godliness with contentment is great gain. Be simple. Live a basic life, but live well. Your expenses should not exceed 60%. That includes your vacation. That includes your vacation. So that whenever you, you know, needs arise around you, you always have to give. Nobody gives by accident because the people give because they plan to give. Just the same way you plan to pay your rent, you plan to give. And trust me, there are lots of people in need around you. Your friends, you go to the grocery store, you see the guy on the street. Always have to give. Let me say something to you. I, I did, I've made mistakes, right? Financial mistakes. And so I learned some of these things the hard way. Um, and for some of you who are much younger, you need to pay attention. And even if you're not young, God redeems time. But obviously, if you're not young, it means you cannot be doing 20% savings and investment. Do you understand that? 20% is for like you're 22 fresh out of university, start there. But if you're like 60 and you have no retirement, you can't save 20%. You need to save 85. Do you understand that? It's just a fact. Some of us, we are our biggest enemies. God really wants to bless you. He does. But can he trust you? If you got a million dollars today, what would happen? Can he trust you? Number one, that you even know what you would do with the money.
many years ago, many years ago, <laughs> I, was, I remember this because as I was thinking about this this week during this uh, meditation on this sermon, I remember that I had this Ferragamo belt. Um, a gold head buckle Ferragamo belt. Gold head buckle. A few things. When I remembered it, I laughed. So I went to go dig it out from where it was. And I was showing it to my, you know, my siblings. I said, can you imagine? I want to put it, I wanted to sell it. I was joking. But I remember that I bought this belt in 2007. Okay? And when I bought it, it was like $525 US dollars then. So I was looking online. I said, what's the value of this belt? I want to sell this belt. And I was joking with my, my brother-in-law who sells everything. <laughs> God will not let him sell his wife one day. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so I said, oh, it was like $700 now. Anyways. But I, I remember that. And I don't know what, what, why that triggered me in a certain way. Because a couple of reasons. Because number one, I realized that when I bought that belt in 2007, Amazon was selling their stock for $4. So if I had put that $525 in Amazon stock, 2007. Do you know what it's worth today? $11,500. Now, that belt is useless. <laughs> no, no, you don't understand. It's literally useless. <laughs> no. The reason why it's useless is because since you've known me, have you ever seen me wear for a gamma belt? Have you ever seen me wear for a gamma belt? I haven't worn that belt in over 10 years. I'm trying to tell you that you can change. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You can change. That's how I was. We go to the weekend in the club. I wasn't born again, no, please. Popping bottles. $300 in one weekend. Be feeling good with yourself. Can you imagine what would have happened to my life if I had enough sense? Just, enough, just a little bit of sense back then. And yours might not be for a gamble belt. Some of you, it's the more. Someone say wigs. <laughs> Did somebody say wigs? <laughs> you have a collection. On Monday, you are Shaniqua. On Tuesday, you are Natalie. <laughs> on Thursday, you are Maria. God have mercy on you. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry. It's part of investments, right? Jesus have mercy. Wigs. Some of your investment right now is in, is in hair. It's okay. It's okay. Can you, can you please repent? Repent. It's not acceptable. The reason why people end up poor many times is not because they didn't have opportunities. They were unwise. They were unwise. Start now, now, now. If I start seeing members of this church, I'll ask you, do you have investment accounts? And you start running away from me. I'm joking. I won't do that. But I'm just saying, do you understand what I'm saying? If you're working, cut your coat according to your cloth. And God will bless you. Oh, he will bless you. He will. He will. We look for big blessings. Overnight miracles. God changed my story. From prison to palace. That's the prayer point you're praying. But you have to remember that when God wants to bless you, one of the ways he blesses you is with opportunities. So if God came to you now and presented an opportunity that will actually take you from the prison to the palace... But you have no investment. You have no money, no capital. You have nothing to invest. So you're just like, oh God, another opportunity passed me by. It wasn't because God was wicked to you. It's because you did not position yourself. 
Tell your neighbor, repent, repent. Tell the other neighbor, repent. Tell them, you look guilty. You look... <laughs> uh, we joke, but we're very serious. This mentality, living from hand to mouth, it's not God's will for us. It's not God's best for his, for his body. No. No. And you realize that the people that actually really have, they're very simple. Have you seen Mark Zuckerberg? Just wears like some old navy pants and some t-shirt. But we, I don't know what is wrong with us. Ferragamo belt. Can we pray? <laughs> oh my God. I want you to really pray from your heart. And it's important that you do that. God help me. Let me be a wise steward of your finances. Let me always, always, always be wise in how I manage the resources that you commit into my hands. In the name of Jesus, you're praying for yourself. Amongst us, sitting amongst us are millionaires, people destined for greatness. And the gap is just ignorance. Pray, pray. Help me. When you're looking for men, women, to finance your kingdom work, always find me available because I have to give. In the name of Jesus, change my level. Help me. Some of you, you need to pray that God will restore. Restore time, restore years, restore opportunities that you've lost. He's a God of restoration. The angels of the Lord are present. This looks like a joke, but it's a serious issue. The Bible says that the, the borrower is always a servant to the lender. Give me wisdom to manage everything that you commit into my care. To manage my resources. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Wisdom. Wisdom. I'll be a steward. I would walk the way of stewards. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.